Hey, today we're continuing our series on the people of the end credits. And uh, two weeks ago, when we were, came together, we started off, we talked about Barnabas. And how Barnabas was a risk taker. Barnabas was faithful. Barnabas was a part of the early church and what was going on. But he's not headlined a whole lot in the New Testament. He's not headlined. He doesn't have a major, major, major part. He's kind of the supporting role. And if you look, like these credits, of course, came from which movie? Star Wars, of course. Star Wars, of course. And my, my daughter, I pulled this up and she goes, I know that name, I know that name, I know that name. And you're, now you're all going to be squinting the whole service. I can't see them. Well, I blurred it out so you can't see it. Yeah, thank you for lowering the lights so they could read them. Um, but most of the people, when you look at a movie, you watch a TV show, most of the characters, most of the names in the credits at the end are not the headliners. They're not the ones whose name are lights. Not everybody can be a Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford or Carrie Fisher. David Prowse. You don't know who David Prowse was, right? Who, who did David Prowse play? He was the character for Darth Vader. Not the voice, he was just the character. Now, I've, I've taught you something this morning. You need to buff, brief up on your Star Wars trivia because it's coming out in just about a month. You need to buff up, brief up so you'll be ready to go. Not everybody can be those main characters. There are more people in the kingdom of God that are like this. Their names are just credits on the end. But that does not make them any less important in what goes on. Today we celebrate Veterans Day. How many generals are there typically on a field, on a battlefield? One, two, and then there's colonels and lieutenant colonels and a few majors and goes on down and then there's all the way down to the E8s, E7s, E6s and a bunch of E1s and 2s, right? Those are enlisted things. People are just getting out of basic training. They're still wet behind the ears. They don't really even know what, which way is up. But nobody would say that in our military who fight on our behalf overseas or here in the States even, that those E1s, E2s, E3s are not important. That those privates and sergeants, first lieutenants, second lieutenants are not important to the whole, all that's going on. They are vital to what our military does. And same with us as the people of God, we are all vital to what God is attempting to do globally to reach this world with the truth, with the gospel. It's not age-dependent. It's not education-dependent. It's not skin color-dependent. It's not anything-dependent but your willingness to submit to what God wants you to do, to where He wants you to go, to where He wants you to live, where He wants you to work. It's by your willingness to submit and say, God, how can I be used to further your kingdom. And we looked at Barnabas a couple weeks ago, and how Barnabas, out of all, when Paul first got saved, actually it was Saul, when Saul first met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus. He was blinded, and then God pulled up Aeneas and said, go and see this man who's now been blinded, and I want you to lay your hands on him and help him to not be blind. And Aeneas was probably scared to death like you would have been, Really, this is the man who's been throwing our people in jail, and God, you want me to go minister to him? He goes, and 
follows God's commands and he helps explain Paul the truths of Scripture. Paul then begins going around and going to synagogue to synagogue there in Jerusalem and talking to Jews and saying, I've met the risen Christ. I've met the Jesus. I've met him. He's not dead any longer. He's alive. And those in the early church were understandably afraid. This is the man who's been persecuting us. We don't want to go and bring him into our midst. We don't want to accept him because of what he's done to us. But the Bible says that Barnabas went out and pulled him in and took him under his wing and brought him to the leaders and they talked and then he was accepted into their midst once they heard his story and knew his heart. Barnabas took risks. Barnabas stayed engaged in the church. He stayed faithful in the ministries of the church for a number and number of years, 14 years. They stayed engaged in what was going on in Jerusalem before the church sent them up to Antioch to go find out what was going on there with the Gentiles. And he goes to Tarsus and grabs Paul that he'd already ministered to down in Jerusalem, grabs Paul from Tarsus now, and they go to Antioch and they minister for a whole year, right? And then within that first year, Holy Spirit says, set aside Barnabas and Paul for a task I have for them. Everybody, we all know about Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The books we have in the New Testament, they came from Paul's hand, or the scribe that worked with him. Barnabas is mentioned. He's not a headliner. He's a supporting role. But I think we would all say that he is no less important to the kingdom of God than Paul. A different purpose, a different plan, a different ministry, just as important in God's plan. Because God is our general. God's our 16-star general, organizing and planning out everything that's going on. And we are just to fit into his plan, right? All these Last week we had Dr. Reichman here, the missionary who works with the Jews. And, we, and of course you all know we served overseas for 20 years. We have others coming in. We're going to have a missions conference in the spring, bringing in some other missionaries to come and share with you what God is doing in his vision, his plan for reaching the world and to helping us to know how we can get engaged and involved in what God is doing, even from here in Denver. It's not just their job. It's our job to be engaged and involved in their lives. He's our general, passing out the orders. And us sitting here this morning, I think we'd all admit we don't have, this is not flat irons. We don't have 30,000 people come to services on Sunday mornings. But our church is no less important than a church that runs 250, 500, 1,000, 30,000. Because God is orchestrating the events in his kingdom, in his world, in his city. And we are all to be a part of that. So with that in mind, let's look at our second character for this, uh, this series. We're going to look at the character of Onesimus this morning. Onesimus mentioned two times in Scripture. Two piddly, stinking times. But he became a vital part of the early church. In fact, most of us know about the story of Onesimus from the book of Philemon, right? If you've read the book of Philemon, you know that he was a runaway slave. You know that he was, and Paul is now writing back to Philemon saying, accept him back into your, into your home, and he, I'm sending him back to you not just as a useless person, but now I'm sending him back to you very useful. 
if you've read through the book of Philemon, you know it's primarily about Philemon. I want you to go and want you to be restored in your relationship with Onesimus. But the story of Onesimus doesn't start with this letter from Paul. It starts years earlier when Onesimus was probably born into Philemon's household as a slave. At that time, slavery was common practice in, in Rome, in, in the Roman Empire. You were born into slavery. Sometimes you, you, you were in debt to somebody, so you were put into servitude. Like uh, the bond servants, when they were the, I forget what they called them when they came over from England. And somebody, some rich, wealthy person paid their way. Elias, uh, trying to tell me here, I, I can't see your lips. Uh, the folks who came over from England and, and, uh, and, and Europe and somebody paid their way over to the New World and they were in servitude to that person for a number of years until their debt was paid off and then they were free to go about their lives. Some of these people who were in slavery in Rome were that way. Some were born into slavery. They had family who were slaves for generations. Maybe they were conquered people and they were brought into this home I'm not saying slavery is right. I'm saying this is the way it was. And so this Onesimus was probably born into slavery in this home. And that's all he knew. It's possible that Philemon was his biological father. We, we don't know. That was, happened quite often as well. But at some point, while he's an adult, he's learning to adult. Don't you love that new phrase? All, the, all these college students are learning to adult, and they're, becoming, they're adulting this and adulting that. I'm like, when did that happen? Anyhow, that's neither here nor there. I just think it's funny. So here, Onesimus is now adulting, and he decides he doesn't like his situation. So in his early 20s, he steals something from Philemon's home, money, art, whatever, he finds some way to subsidize and pay for his way to run away, and he runs away to Rome. Philemon's in Colossae, the city of Colossae, and Onesimus runs away and finds himself in the city of Rome. Somehow, in the city of Rome, he runs across Paul. He may have already known Paul. Maybe Paul was a known figure to him and he, was, he felt somewhat safe because Paul, you see, was Philemon's spiritual father. Paul was the one who led Philemon to Christ back in Colossae. So Paul had been in the home. Paul had been there sharing the gospel. Paul had been in that home teaching and discipling and a part of that early church before he got arrested and sent off to Rome. So here now, under house arrest... Paul in Rome is reintroduced to Onesimus. Whether it's in a physical prison or just a house prison, somehow they are put together, recognize each other, or Onesimus recognizes Paul, and they have a relationship, and Paul shares Christ with him, as Paul was known to do. I think you would admit that. Paul was known to share that truth with everybody he came in contact with. It didn't matter who they were. Onesimus receives Christ as his Lord and Savior. His life is transformed. He is released and becomes a part of the ministry going on in Rome. To where now Paul writes back to Philemon. Follow with me in Philemon, verse 10 and following. 
He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Wouldn't that be awesome to be known? And God, he doesn't just say, I'm sending him back to you. He's just, he's been helping me out. He says, I'm sending you my very heart. He was entwined in an integral part of what Paul was doing there in Rome. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a little while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. And especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Here you have Paul writing back to this man, Philemon. Obviously a very wealthy individual, obviously a a part of the community, a part of the city that was there. He had multiple slaves living in his home. We don't know what his job was. We don't know what his trade was necessarily, but he was a part of that early church there in this city. And Paul's writing back to him. And says, I'm sending you back your slave. I've encouraged your slave to come back to you. Not so that he can be put in servitude again, but I'm hoping you'll do the right thing and set him free. I'm hoping you'll do the right thing and forgive him. Actually, he didn't even ask him to set him free, did he? See, in, in, in Roman, by Roman law, a slave, once, once you're in servitude to somebody, you could not be set free legally until you're 30. So it could be that Here's this 20-something-year-old young man adulting, and Paul knows the law and can't, can't ask him to set him free. So here he's saying, I want you to forgive him of his past offenses. Receive him back, not as a bondservant, but as a brother. Seeing him for what he is now, more than just one of your slaves, Someone who is now an integral part of my ministry here in Rome, who's not just a thief and a runaway, he's become a partner with me. He's become, I'm sending him back as if I'm sending back my own heart. I love this man dearly. Receive him back as you would receive me. That's a drastic change. A drastic change, I mean, 180-degree turn. Onesimus runs away, thinks he's escaping his life. And yet, think about it. He thinks he's running away, but who's following him? God is still following him. He thinks he's getting away from this old life. He thinks he's getting away from what this man who, who know, we don't know why he ran away. We don't know if there was mistreatment. We don't know if he was just frustrated with his life. We don't know why any of this. But he runs away, and God follows him. Is that not so true of many of us? We think we can go about our own way. We think we can run away from what God wants us to do. We think we can not go to Nineveh when God wants us to go to Nineveh. 
and God follows us no matter where we go. We can't get away from God. That's scary and encouraging at the same time. Because God sees you no matter where you go. God sees your frustrations no matter what's going on. God loves you no matter what. You can never get away from God's love. You can never get away from the eyes of God. He watches and cares and wants to embrace you. Always. And he's always there drawing you back. You may think like, (sighs) you can run away like Onesimus. But he's there pulling you back into his presence. And orchestrating things. I mean, imagine going to the city of Rome where there's millions of people there. And he happens to run into Paul. He just happens to get put into the same prison as Paul. Hello. You would think maybe Paul's over here and Onesimus on this side of the city. Maybe Paul's up there and Onesimus is down here. They just happen to get thrown together. And it just happens to be remember him from his time at his master's home. We can't get away from God. That's encouraging to me. You know, I could be back in, he heard the gospel message of freedom back in Colossae. You can be free, you can be free. God came to free us. And he didn't realize that God came to free him from his sins. God came to give him freedom, not from his master, but to free him from slavery and bondage to sin that was a part of his life. See, this message of of the gospel, this message of of freedom, this message that that Paul preaches and that we preach is not one of servitude to a God who is just up there as his general directing, 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 but it's willingly putting myself under submission, putting myself in debt, and saying, God, I'm going to follow you until my debt is is fulfilled. I need to get across the Atlantic to the new world, and I want to, would you please pay my way? And we put ourselves willingly willingly into submission and servitude to the God of the universe. Not just a, a mean master, but a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, and a God of justice. And he longs for this relationship with us. It's not a God who says, you're my robot, do as I say, and you just, danger Will Robinson, danger Will Robinson. You know, it's not that kind of robot. Some of you remember that. This is a God who says, come alongside me. Yes, you're my bondservant. Yes, you are willing to put yourself in submission to me. But let's go together, arm in arm, hand in hand, to reach this world with the truth of the freedom, the message of freedom, that the world can be free from sin. Paul says in verse 11, he says, when he first left you, he was useless. But now I send him back to you as one who is useful. See, Onesimus' name meant useful, profitable, helpful. So his very name kind of identified, and so Paul uses his name as a way of reminding Philemon of his responsibility. He says, when he left you, he was useless to you. 
He was just a slave. He was just a servant in your home. But now that he is your brother, I send him back as one who is useful to the kingdom, useful and profitable to your service, one who's going to embrace you as a brother. It's interesting that as Paul sends him back, he's asking him, please be reconciled. Paul's initiating the reconciliation between these two. He says, I know you've got disagreements. I know you've got frustrations. I know that you have, that he's guilty of stealing this stuff. I know that he's guilty of running away. I'm asking you to overlook his sins, to overlook his offenses, and be reconciled. To forgive. And that's hard. Here's a man who's in power. A man who has authority in his home and in his businesses. And if the fear is, if I forgive him of these offenses, if I don't hold this against him, if I don't hold him to the law, I'll be seen as weak. And yet Paul says, overlook how people may view you and do the right thing. Overlook societal pressures and you receive him back as a brother. You receive him back and you reconcile, you forgive, you forgive, you forgive. You, you offer that grace that God, God gave you. you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the grace of God and how awesome that is and how we, grace is, more, is greater than, I'll say more greater. God is greater than our weaknesses. God is greater than our hurts. God is greater than our despair. God's greater than our, His grace is greater than our circumstances. Overlook His offenses and forgive. The grace of God that has filled you is there so you can offer it to others. I'll say that again. The grace of God that is in you is there so you can offer it to others who have offended you as well. See, when you don't offer it back and you withhold that grace, you withhold that forgiveness, and you withhold that reconciliation, it hurts you more than the other person. Because Satan wants to keep you bound up like a knot. He wants to keep you bound up within yourself. And when you refuse to offer forgiveness and grace and reconciliation to somebody else, it hurts you. I'm not saying that everybody's always going to receive it, but it's on your behalf, it's on your job to offer it to others. So he sends him back in verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but now as a brother. So that's kind of the backstory. That's kind of the backstory of, of Philemon, of, of Onesimus' story. Look over in Colossians chapter 7, just back couple pages. Colossians chapter 7. Chapter 4, rather, I'm sorry. Chapter 4, verse 7. Let's skip forward a few years now. From Onesimus leaving. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. That's First Thessalonians. That is not Colossians. There we go. I was going, those words don't look right. Paul's writing a letter back to the church in Colossae, which Philemon is a part of. And he says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. 
He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Remember back then, they didn't have the United States Postal Service who went on donkeys and other ways to travel to get the mail back and forth. If you wanted to send a letter to somebody, typically you had to hire somebody or you went and sent it yourself. You knew somebody that was going in and they would then get the letter to that port. So he sends Tychicus and, verse verse 9, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that has taken place here. He says, not only am I sending this man Tychicus, who is a faithful and beloved brother, a servant ministering here in Rome to come and bring this letter to you, and also the letter to Philemon, So here's Onesimus now delivering, hand-delivering this letter to his former master. Talk about being scared. How scared would you be? I mean, he was, by Roman law, he could be put to death like that. There was a warrant out for his arrest. And he's going back to that town. Philemon, here's a letter. Before you have me executed at the block, Please read this from Paul. (laughs) And he sends Onesimus and Tychicus back with a message. See, that tells me that there's been a drastic change in Onesimus' life over the past, from the time he got saved. They're both called faithful and beloved brothers. He's not just an early disciple. It shows me that Onesimus was now getting involved and engaged in the work that was going on back in Rome. He was not just sitting back and letting ministry happen. He was doing ministry himself and becoming a partner with Paul, with Tychicus, with others who were involved in the church and getting his feet wet and jumping in full force, not staying on the beach. He was jumping in and getting involved. He was being discipled by others. Tychicus, Paul, others. He was growing in spiritual maturity. And now he was going back to Colossae to be reconciled. Because obviously this had become a point of discussion back in Rome. Onesimus, if you really want to become used in God's kingdom, you who offended this this man, you need to go back and ask forgiveness. You who offended this individual, you need to go and make it right. And maybe the Holy Spirit is working in his heart. That's hard. Have you ever offended somebody and God says, I want you to go up to that person and and make it right with them? That's hard. It is not within our nature as human beings to humble ourselves and go to somebody and say, I'm sorry. One of the most difficult lessons we teach our kids, and those who are parents, you understand this, is for you to tell, have your kids walk up to somebody and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's hard. And it doesn't get any easier, kids, when you're an adult, I can tell you that. It is hard to humble yourself and say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. It's hard. It's hard when you're a husband or a wife and you realize that your spouse 
was right. <laughs> Guys, girls, it's hard to admit that to each other. On the best of days, it's hard. It's really hard when you're sometimes in conflict with one another over something stupid. And you just, I'm going to hold my ground just because. Anybody else do that? <laughs> That's me. I mean, I get my foot stuck in concrete and I'm not going to move it. Because my wife's going to understand how I feel. Or my kids are going to know my position. And then you got to come back and, yeah, you were right. I was wrong. And that's hard. So here Paul is sending Onesimus back. And it shows great spiritual growth and maturity on his part to go back now and say, Philemon, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I don't have the things I stole from you. I don't have that money any longer. I don't have whatever it was, but... I need to offer myself at your feet. Ask for mercy and forgiveness because I was wrong. How would you feel if somebody came to you with that humble spirit, humble heart? Man, isn't it so much easier to forgive somebody when they come to you humbly than it is when they come to you? Yeah, you were right, but... but but, don't you hate that word, but? Yeah, you are right, but there's no buts. Just stop. You were right. And that's the same attitude we need to have when we, come, when we approach our Heavenly Father. When we approach our Heavenly Father in prayer, on our knees, do we come to God and say, God, you're right. I was wrong. Please forgive me. My attitude, my actions, my, those words, those things I said, that they were wrong. Or do we come to God? Yeah, God, I know I should be following this. I know that I should be doing that. And you're right, but you don't know what, I, what that person did to me. God, you, but you don't know what I'm having to deal with at work. But God, you don't know what she did to me, my spouse. You don't know what... His snores do to me in the middle of the night. I just want to take that pillow and all the wives go, amen. Husbands, you better not be saying amen, at least not publicly. God, you're right. I need to come before you and admit what I've done wrong. Admit that I've offended a holy God. Please forgive me. That's the spirit. That's the spirit that Onesimus had, had to have going back. And then he and Paul had probably talked about that and talked about that and talked about that. Maybe he and Tychicus and some of the other leaders there in Rome had talked about that and prayed about that. And I'm sure that before he left, they bathed that whole trip in prayer because asking God to go ahead of him on this trip and throughout the trip from Rome back to Colossae, there was prayer going on. God, work on Philemon's heart. God, work on Philemon's heart. God, remove the anger. Remove the bitterness. Remove the frustration. God, go before. And the, story, the, books don't, the letters don't tell us the end result. 
The stories don't, this letters from Paul and Acts do not tell us what happened. But you know what? Later on, the early church father Ignatius, in one of his writings, he writes about the bishop of Ephesus, Onesimus, the bishop of Ephesus. See, Paul was his spiritual father. Paul was Philemon's spiritual father. Paul was Titus's spiritual father. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father, who became the leader of the church in Ephesus. Later on, as Onesimus grows in his faith, apparently, and other scholars agree with this, he became the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Ephesus. Well, there was no First Baptist then. He became the bishop. He became the pastor. He became the one, the under-shepherd, leading that church in that city, that congregation, ministering to those people. So you have slave to bishop, slave without Christ and servitude to a man he hates. He's gone back and now he's pastoring a flock because he's learned to submit, he's learned to minister, he's learned these lessons over the course of 40 years. Remember we talked last week about how it's, it, God seems to work in these numbers and it takes time. And we're, we're always in a rush. You're always in a rush, always in a rush, always in a rush. God, I want to do it now. God, I want to do it now. God, I want to do it now. Sometimes it takes time in our lives to grow into this. In conclusion, the life of Onesimus is one, it's a story of failure and restoration. He started off as a slave, born into slavery, raised in slavery, runs away as a slave. He runs as a thief. He runs away to Rome. But yet, while he's on the way, God follows him and offers him forgiveness and redemption. He's not left to his own devices. He runs into Paul. He plugs into the body and to the church in Rome and becomes, begins becoming discipled, becomes stronger in his faith and grows in maturity. Not by himself, because the body of Christ, we work together to help each other grow in maturity. We're not meant to live on an island by ourselves. Holy Spirit continues to work in his life and realizes he needs reconciliation with his former master. He goes to, back to Colossae, gets reconciled, and continues to serve in the churches there. And then eventually, he becomes the pastor of church in Ephesus, the bishop of that church. Talk about a life of failure to restoration. Let me ask a question to you. That's Onesimus' story. What's yours? What's your story? Where have you come from and where is God taking you? What life have you come from? What frustrations, what sins, what marriage fr- conflicts, what kid conflicts? family conflicts, job conflicts, where have you come from and where are you going?
Where is God taking me? He's not finished with you. Onesimus had to wait 40 years. 60 years old, roughly, 60, mid-60s, by the time he becomes the pastor of that church. And he'd been used all through there. And we talked about Barnabas and how Barnabas worked and worked and worked and he was faithful in his church. He was faithful in that congregation, faithful in the body of Christ. Onesimus now is faithful in that church, faithful in the body of Christ, finding ways to minister. You don't have to be up on the platform. Maybe your job is running switches on the soundboard. The invisible ones back in the corner. Unless something goes wrong, then everybody sees them. Maybe your job is coming up here on Saturdays and sweeping up and cleaning up or going around the outside and cleaning up on the outside of the building. Maybe your job is taking one of our tracks that we have in the back or inviting your neighbor to church so they can hear the gospel. Maybe your job is not just inviting them to church but sharing with them, your neighbor. Taking that track and on the back, did you know that there's the gospels on the back? You can lead somebody through those verses on the back of the track and share with them the love of Christ so they might experience it as well. Maybe your job is right now is going to somebody asking forgiveness. Maybe your job is receiving forgiveness, receiving that person and offering it back. See, I don't know where God has you specifically. We like to keep our, all of our problems pretty close to the vest, don't we? We're good with that as Americans. We have our mass. We come to church on Sunday mornings. It's all good. God is awesome. We can sing whatever songs we want. We all got our mass. We look pretty and look good. Well, most of y'all look pretty. Everybody looks good. But you leave here and your problems are still there. Why don't you leave them at the door when you leave today? Your frustrations, your anger, your bitterness, your your problems. Leave them right here. Let God take care of them so he can use you in his kingdom as your name can be in the end credits. How's God want to use you today? Let me bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. How's God speaking to you this morning? I'm not going to embarrass anybody this morning, but I want to pray for you. How many of you would say, Pastor, that's me. I've been 